Hello everyone and welcome to the third episode, all good things come in threes, of the Project Studio Tea Break. <laughs> I am Mike Senior and I am here with composer and musical John, uh, <laughs> composer and musical director John Whitten, who's there laughing at my inability to speak in the background. Say hello John. Hello there. I am also a popular West End musical, which um, a lot of people don't realise. Been, been running for a good 15, 20 years. Story of a, a young boy in a small town who, who goes to the big city and, um, well, I won't spoil it. Get your tickets as soon as possible. Hello, Mike. How are you doing? I'm not doing too bad. Um, so, yes, uh, back to the plot. Our purpose is to enthusiastically um, uh, spill tea over ourselves while delving into Project Studio matters of all types. And following our official launch last month, we've had our, well, our mailbag has been bulging with, I think, (laughs) one comment (laughs) so far. We've had a few people listening and some downloads. Um, So I just wanted to say to our our first comment, hello, John Kidston. You will hold a place in our hearts forever. We salute you with our raised teacups. Hello, John, and thank you. But also we have a a Twitter comment. Oh, fabulous. From Dan Jeffries. Who made it public, so I, I'm going to assume that it's okay to use his name. Apologies if not. Too uh, late he said, now. He said, I can't <laughs> wait to listen to you both, but not in a creepy way. Uh, <laughs> I can't imagine Dan doing anything creepily. I mean, we both know Dan. That's a kind of in-joke there. Anyway, so, uh, yeah, um, I think some of... We've got even got some followers on, on Podbean. I, I, some of them look suspiciously like bots. This kind of... <laughs> You know when you get that list of characters that kind of go nine seven. Mike, I think our brand of comedy and music technology information is extremely appealing to single Russian women. <laughs> um, I suppose that is true. Or maybe it's just a comment on our style. They give us a bunch of random sh. I'm going to sign up as a bunch of random sh. <laughs> Very meta. I, I, I like that. Yeah, I could take yeah. that kind of criticism. That I think some of them are honest, good, goodness human being, though, they're with real light profile pictures and stuff. So I'm, I'm hoping that maybe someone is listening and they're not just kind of downloading it after 30, 30 seconds going, what? <laughs> oh, hello, the void or humans or bots or whoever, whoever is lucky enough to be getting these words into their ear holes. So what have you, what have you been up to this month? Uh, I've had a bit of a funny month. I've been uh, travelling about. I went back to London for a bit. Oh, very nice. Uh, for a for a, the first ever conference of theatre music composers. Blimey. Which was good fun, and there's a horrifying number of them, Mike. <laughs> you, you can lull yourself into the illusion that there's about four, because, you know, you're the, you're the only composer in the room yeah. most of the time. But they're like cockroaches, just crawling <laughs> over this large area and... and it was it was revolting. What happens when you get a kind of critical mass of musical theatre directors together? Um, Does it kind of a spontaneous burst of, of song and dance or something? <laughs> I think spontaneous burst of a first bar before someone says, wouldn't it sound better like this? <laughs> and then fr- from then there's just a huge fracas and, and, and brawl. <laughs> Clipboards fly. Oh, yeah, broken glasses litter the floor, <laughs> along with torn remnants of very tight jeans. Um... <laughs> <laughs> How about you? Have you have you earned your tea break this week, this month? Sorry, I think I kind of had. I've been finally getting back to writing up some um, very old uh, sessions that I did for the SOS session notes column, and just never got round to writing up. Right, <laughs> I'll tell you how old it is. I'm writing up a session that I did that I have subsequently mixed and edited that session. And then done another record for them that I've just finished mixing <laughs> before I've got around to writing the one, the one I've just had to do. That session did have my first bit of bona fide Project Studio DIY in it. Or at least the first bit that actually worked. 
What was the DIY? What was your shoestring method? It was to create a podium, because we had a problem of getting a sightline of two-seated guitarists and that the window between them wasn't low enough. Okay. So I, I got, you know those grey storage boxes for, like, putting all sorts of stuff in? Absolutely, Well, yes. I used those for cutting my gear around. So I thought, well, what if I put some of those together and then just stuck a slab of MDF on the top of it? And got some brackets or whatever to fit it to make it work. And it worked beautifully. <laughs> and the great thing is that I can I could stack the boxes as well to make it different heights. Of course, so you've got a, a adjustable piece of staging there. It's like a Lego podium, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> I don't think any engineer ever grows out of the Lego stage. I think that's half the joy of making music, isn't it? Just putting different coloured bits in, in different combinations. It certainly beat my previous attempt at DIY where <laughs> I tried to... I, I thought, you know, those reflection filtery things. I mean, they're basically just a, like a curved baffle with some foam inside. That, I, I'd buy that. I'm sure I could do that. So I, I went out and bought a cheap bucket. Yeah. And attacked it with a, <laughs> attacked it with a, with a hacksaw <laughs> to get the like semicircular curvy bit. Put foam on the inside yeah. and then tried it on a, on a like a Tom Mike or something, and it sounded rubbish. <laughs> Absolutely terrible. <laughs> I'm surprised. I, I know I, that sounds like a surefire solution. I to was me. surprised too, but no, it just sounded horrible. <laughs> I just felt like such an idiot. Okay, it sounded like you had a bucket next to your microphone. I mean, it's bad enough going into a session and going, yeah, just bear with me, bear with me, I've got a bucket on a stick with foam in it. (laughs) There's reason in my madness. And then putting the fader up and going, oh, that's rubbish. There's actually not reason either. There's just madness. (laughs) It's it's all madness here. Yeah. So let's have a look at some of the top news stories of this month. It's in fact incredible that we've managed to to hold off talking about it this long, last night being the classic Brits. Oh, of course. Well, funnily enough, over breakfast every morning. Now, my wife doesn't like a tremendous amount of noise in the morning, but I like to listen to something on the radio, so we've kind of compromised on classic FM. Okay. <laughs> what, because it's almost something. It's wallpapery enough. It's, it kind of sits there in the background, and I can, I can fool mm-hmm. myself that I'm somehow educating my kids into classical music. <laughs> Whereas actually, I'm only educating them in about 150 pieces of classical music. Oh, if that. And some very, very, very poor piano-based background filming music. <laughs> we'll, we, we will come back to very, very poor piano-based filming music. Sorry, I'm derailing you. Not I'm at derailing all. you. But yeah, I, I, they, they've just been announcing it on Classic FM, so I've, oh, I'm well up. Oh, I'm, I'm so up to date. Okay, so you're right here with me. Mm. Well, I mean, the, the, the Lifetime Achievement Award went to the, um, the venerable Dame Vera Lynn. Many happy returns to the 101-year-old songstress. Wow. <laughs> There's no joke there. It's just incredibly impressive. That, that's pretty much like giving an award to the 20th century, isn't it? I think it is. She's so old. <laughs> like, well done, 20th century. You packed a lot into 100 years. Yeah. If you had to personify <laughs> that, I'd say you could start in, in much worse places. But, no, I mean, it was a rakes gallery. It was more or less what you'd expect. Um, Bryn Teffel was, was in there. Andrea Bocelli, Andrea Bocelli was in there. Uh, Michael Ball. The standard sort of people. But what you may not realise is this is the first classic Brit for five years. Really? Yes. Yes. Have you been have you been feeling empty? Have you been feeling unfulfilled? Have you finished each year thinking, but what really happened? Uh, no, I, I well, the, the horror of the previous one had never truly faded. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> right? Right. Well, perhaps maybe maybe then that horror came from this lack of classic Brits for the last five years, because it was slammed. By, by classical music critics for being too tellyish. Um, oh, right, right, right. Well, the award ceremony. The award ceremony. Right, it was right. irredeemably tacky <laughs> by, uh, 
<laughs> by an unnamed conductor. Surely that is practically classic FM school sign. I, but this is the forever tension, isn't it? And I, and I say this to someone who loves classical music, who mm. works wherever, he, whenever he has the opportunity in classical music. Well, I mean, we both have like classical music backgrounds. Completely, but. Teleclassical music is, is a difficult needle to thread because mm, when it mm. was on last time, the conductors thought it was unbearably tacky and the TV viewership hit back by not knowing that it was happening <laughs> um, and, and therefore not watching. So in the lead up to this one, there was, one has to assume, a bit of pressure to get some buzz going, to try and find the firebrand, the, the, the controversial <laughs> statement. And what they found was Alexis French. French with two Fs. He's got a slight leak there, basically. He's he's just going... <laughs> the whole time. So the leading up to these, these Brits, he was nominated and he had an interview with the BBC where he slammed classical music, Mike. And he said that it needed to take lessons from hip-hop and specifically from rap music and it needed to be controversial, needed to push boundaries, drop its sense of entitlement and really shock and awe audiences (laughs) yeah and and this was picked up by the times by the independent but pressed for time as he was alexis failed to provide any any really concrete suggestions oh right so i thought maybe we could jump in here. okay yeah you know pick up the work that other people haven't done as we're so often called upon to do Mm -hmm. and We, we have the background there we go and suggest ways that that fuddy duddy beautiful music on nice instruments can be made contemporary and shocking. I mean, how can we learn the lessons of hip-hop? <laughs> there are plenty of lessons. I mean, how about we make sure that every classical piece has the same bass drum? <laughs> <laughs> that, I mean, that, that would be a start, wouldn't it? it? It would. It would. Now, do you mean having the Royal Academy-trained percussionist on a percussion pad with an 808? Oh, no, 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 no. I think what we have to do is we have to decide who is the bass drum for classical music. <laughs> it's like they've got the 808 in hip-hop. You, you, it's 808 or nothing. Yeah. So we need to decide that there's, you know, there's Bert Williamson, who is the, mm, mm. Who is the bass drum player for the, for the Leicestershire Symphony Orchestra. <laughs> he, has, he has the bass drum sound, but he's now going to be the, the only guy. There we are. And no concert can happen without this guy. They're gonna need, he's going to need a private jet. To get oh. from gig to gig, he'll be like royalty. Just imagine the Carnegie Hall and the orchestra comes on and the, and the concert master comes on and the conductor comes on and everyone claps and there's a pause. Yeah. And the curtains at the back of the stage open and in comes Bert. Basically. With, with his bass drum held on high behind him. I think that could work. Oh, I've got another possibility too. You could take a stage play and then you just stick everyone through auto-tune to turn it into <laughs> opera. I mean, it works for Kanye West. Why shouldn't it work for plays and opera? Absolutely. I think let's get, you know, the seagull, Uncle Vanya and, and T-Pain, whatever they're singing. And I think as long as we got soft R&B backing, go with some slow jam backing track going on behind. Bit of lingo there for... <laughs> oh my goodness me, I am... We are scraping along the precipice of my knowledge. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. Slow jam was a stretch. Beyond that, I am... I just gripping at air. <laughs> well, another hip-hop trick they could try is this concept that they have of taking something that is completely not cool and putting it in a track and then just doing it as if it's cool and kind of daring anyone to say it's not cool. It's the kind of em- Emperor's New Clothes trick. Mm-hmm. And so many of them pull it off. I mean, take a good example, that Jay-Z track, Hard Knock Life. Mm-hmm. If you'd said to anyone with a half an ounce of sins... <laughs> I'll tell you what, let's do a hip-hop track that's going to be so cool and we're going to do it with Annie, the musical. (laughs) You go, don't be stupid. (laughs) 
it's such a good track. There like... are so many hip hop tracks <laughs> that if you objectively <laughs> listen to them, it's like um, a great one is um, that Black Eyed Peas one, Boom Boom Pow. Mm. But I've always felt that that sounds like they just never finished it. <laughs> they put a few things in and, and they thought, yeah, we'll finish that later. And then Will I Am comes in and goes, no, let's just say it's finished. <laughs> and basically they put out an unfinished track as a finished thing and just said, yeah, of course it's finished because we say so. Because we said so and we are trend makers and taste definers. And the brilliant thing is, is it's self-fulfilling then because nothing else sounds like it because everyone else finishes their tracks. <laughs> <laughs> goes to the trouble of writing it all. So then when it goes on the radio, it sounds like nothing else and suddenly becomes a huge hit and then everyone wants to sound like that. It's brilliant. So I wonder if they could translate that somehow into the classical music space. Okay, so in your classical music mindset, with your maestro hat on, what is it that you find most uncool? Uh, which in classical terms is probably distasteful. Okay, Andre Ryu. Okay. I think he's a strong contender for the cheesiest person on earth. <laughs> What what is his trade? What what is his? He's a kind of a, a violinist and director who does Strauss waltzes and cheesy classics and everything, all arranged with these kind of soaring violin lines and too many key changes. And he sells bucket loads of records <laughs> to his kind of. I don't know whether I want to demographically limit it there, but I think there are probably more pensioners in there than there are people of working age. Like, I don't think we have enough listeners to alienate any of them yet. <laughs> I, I think we maybe... Although I have to say, I have listened to Andrew Ryu and, and reviewed him for the magazine because he's selling so many records that he keeps getting into the UK album charts. Really? That many? And everyone just chooses to ignore the fact that his <laughs> Viennese Appassionata album or whatever it is he's done, mm -hmm. that has like um, memory from cats like arranged for 50p string orchestra is soaring into the classical charts above all the kind of the, <laughs> the worthy ones and then they all just go up and we, we just we just won't notice it it's like when Rod Stewart's greatest hit goes in at number one on the pop chart and everyone's just happy to pretend it hasn't I like those moments so I think the secret to making this hip hop trick work would be to get all the classical artists you can think of that have the most credibility you know so you get like you know Alfred Brendel and Maxim Vengerov <laughs> people who are yeah, really yeah. Hardcore and get them as his backing band, basically, and for them all to go. And now the real star, Andrew Ryu, <laughs> and on he comes, hair flowing behind him. We've solved it. Maybe that's what it is. I reckon that could work. Okay, what other ideas have you got? Strings, orchestral strings, are the textualous backing to a number of pop songs mm. for the last fifty years. So. Maybe you try and flip that, okay? And you do the, the Brahms Violin Concerto in D major, yeah. dark, angry, yeah. wonderful piece. Um, and you have Rihanna, Justin Bieber, and uh, Nicki Minaj. Yes, three pop stars. Um, Nicki Minaj at the back doing doo-wop, doo-wop backing vocals. <laughs> <laughs> Just going, ooh. Yeah, yeah. Do, 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 ooh. <laughs> Exactly. Or even just doing that dance that I've only ever seen backing vocalists do. <gasps> I think I know the one. You know, when they're all doing it mm -hmm. together, they're all doing it together, they're all in front of their mics, and they're all just kind of jiving a bit to one side and then jiving <laughs> to the other, and their hands are kind of... It's a bit like a kind of a slow walk. Exactly. The left foot goes back behind the right foot, left arm down, right hand. We'll do a video of us doing it. Bonus content. That's the one. <laughs> Another great podcasting slot, this. It is. But I think we've solved it. I think we, we have fundamentally solved the classical music world. I think we've knocked it out of the park. Right. The last thing that I am, I'm going to get to is that Alexis French, this man calling for revolution in the classical world, writes anemic library piano music. 
Oh, he doesn't. It's so upsetting. I thought at least he'd be inaccessibly weird, but it's, it's you know, Jan Tiersen, the guy who did Amelie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Imagine Amelie without any of the good bits. He's becoming a very successful recording artist, I think because his last name has a funny spelling and he wears cool hats. But honestly, I cannot <laughs> see an appeal beyond those things. know we have a regular feature every month where we post-mortem over a particularly embarrassing or difficult situation or something that we hate under the <laughs> banner of Face Palm of the Month. And this month it's my turn to spill the beans and I wanted to share probably the mother load of all face palms as far as I'm concerned. Ooh. It was so embarrassing at the time that I still find myself like cringing and biting my fist about it. Probably every few months, even like 20 years after it originally happened. <laughs> my goodness. Okay. It's, a, it's an absolute myself doozy. emotionally. This was back in 1998. What were you up to in 1998, John? Pokemon. Uh, Pokemon, I can still name all 150. And for anyone who would argue <laughs> there are more than 150 Pokemon, there are not. There are 150 Pokemon, then there's sellout and rip-offs and cash-ins. You sound like a man who knows. Oh, goodness me. I mean, come at me, anyone who thinks that Diamond is the best Pokemon game. But that's slightly off topic. Not very much. <laughs> Not very much, Mike. I was, at that time, nine. Okay, right. Well, in 1998, I had just finished my master's degree in music IT in London, mm -hmm. which basically I was a bit of a pansy degree, I have to say. <laughs> And I used it as an opportunity to be in halls there mm. and do the run of any London studios I could get work experience of. Very nice. I basically come to the idea of getting into studio work while I was doing my music degree and began to get a bit of experience during holidays then. And then when I went to London, really got into it and was going around all the studios. When I finished my degree there, my master's, I then managed to get an interview at a big residential studio in Milton Keynes called Great Linford Manor. Mm. They agreed to look at this guy who was starting about 10 years too late to get in as a tea boy, pretty much. <laughs> right, this, this bright-eyed, not-quite-youth. It was exactly like that. I mean, I was super keen on everything, and I was, I was well committed to it. But anyway, mm. they, they, of the hundreds of people I sent letters to, agreed to give me a tryout. Fantastic. So I went up, and this is a residential, so it's the full 24-7 madness. <laughs> And there's one main room and a live room and a booth and the one assistant is meant to kind of do everything and that was what they were trying me out for. And that was you, all right. And that, you know, for whether it was engineering or whether it was just making the tea. And my first session there was with an engineer called Tony Platt. Now, I don't know if you know the name Tony Platt. Not yet. Uh, yeah, you'll certainly know some of the things he's worked on because he recorded like Bob Marley, Catch a Fire and, and Burning. Oh, he recorded wow. Back in Black. No! And Highway to Hell. He worked with Mutt Lang. He did uh, like Foreigners Number 4. Oh, God. Uh, he's worked with Motorhead, Iron Maiden, The Cults. He's won Grammys, whatever. Just one of the biggest names in studio engineering. So I assume you very much knew who this man was. 
I, I was aware of him and I was aware of the albums, but I wasn't as educated about him as I am now. <laughs> okay. But it was clear that it was clear that he was a big deal. But I mean, I was super, super green at the time. Mm-hmm. The guy was an absolute gent, to be fair. And he's, he is an absolute gent. He's such a nice guy. But he immediately spotted how completely <laughs> out of depth my, my depth that was. I mean, a clue might have been that on the unload, literally pretty much the first contact we had, mm-hmm. he walks into the, the, the tape room, which is like next to the control room. And I've been unloading things, kind of as keen as mustard. Yeah. <laughs> and he goes, yeah, probably best not to stack those tapes on top of a bass cab. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> this wacky great magnet in the back of it. <laughs> mm-hmm. So he like, I think he had my number within about a half a second of walking in. Oh, blimey. But he was honestly such a gent. I think he kind of recognised that I was completely committed to it, but I was just a bit clueless. Okay, okay, that you had the enthusiasm. Yeah, so the... he just like took me in hand. He like taught me basically how to deal with tape from scratch, like how to line the machines up, how to do edits, how to thread tape, reel tape, sort out these these two like sync tape machines to synchronise, all this kind of stuff. Really just so nice and patient and everything. Such a gent. The problem was that as keen as I was about learning this stuff, I mean, I was always like reading manuals and just doing anything I could to try and make things work. I just hadn't realised a fundamental truth of recording in general, mm. whether you're assisting or you're engineering or anything, which is that it's not about reacting to what's going on. It's about anticipating what's going to happen. And I just hadn't got it. That feels like some dramatic foreshadowing. Can I guess that the next part of the story is, but that particular lesson didn't come up on this occasion. I had a great time, enjoyed a decade of stable employment, moving up through the ranks, and and here I am. It would it would do wonders for my gripped toes, my white knuckles. Like if you could just give that as the ending of today's story. No, I'm afraid that those toes are only going to curl. Oh further. God! Okay, on you go. Basically, he was recording a rock band, and we went through. We you know we set up the all the session and everything. Um, we did live tracks. We did the uh, guitar overdubs, and those took a bit of a while, and there was a lot of waiting around for the other members in the band. Mm. And then he'd mentioned, while we were doing guitar overdubs, that the next thing we'd be doing was was vocal takes. Okay. And I was basically just kind of sitting there waiting to be told to do stuff. And so then when we finished the the overdubs, he goes, okay, time to do vocals. Goes out into the into the tape room, which then leads on to the vocal booth, and mm. the vocal booth is just empty, like bare, nothing in there at all. Nothing set up. <laughs> and you can see he was absolutely furious. Livid. Yeah. <laughs> and he just he like so justifiably completely tore a strip on me about <laughs> uh, didn't you know that we were about to do vocals? <laughs> oh god. <laughs> what were you thinking? So basically, there was 15 minutes of me like scrambling around at the highest possible speed <laughs> under the kind of glare of one of the most famous engineers on the planet trying to set up my vocal mic and kind of getting my cables tangled and just (laughs) tripping over stuff although it was just the biggest nightmare sticking anything that would record on anything that would hold it up it was just hopeless I mean even now the thing is I've met him quite a few times now oh, since then like AES shows he's mm. involved with the MPG the Music Producers Guild that I've had something to do with as well and I've met him so many times we've had we've had like, coffee together and stuff but I still after all these years can't really look him in the eye <laughs> <laughs> I just think oh my god he's thinking of the back of his mind what a numpty this guy is <laughs> oh yeah but I, the thing about it and the reason I wanted to share this one is because I think I would say that it is the it is the motherload as I said it is the most <laughs> embarrassing face palm. Yeah. But 
that one moment has probably been the making of me as an engineer more than anything else. Really? Because every time I approach any kind of recording session now, I think in the back of my mind is that feeling that Tony Platt is, <laughs> is going to be there waiting for me if there's something that hasn't been set up or if someone's having to wait around. Wow. So uh, tell me, because I, I, I have to know, have you in these future meetings, have you brought up the... Look, Tony, I am so sorry about the vocal booth. <laughs> the thing is, it's so difficult because it has played on my mind so many times. And I know I've met him several times. And I can't actually now remember whether I've had the conversation with him saying, look, Tony, I still feel really bad about this. <laughs> I might just have rehearsed that in my head so many times that I think it's real. That it feels like something <laughs> yeah, you said. That I yeah. feel like I wish I had been able to say that to him. But I still, when he's, when he's there, I just kind of clam up and... <laughs> God. And try not to knock anything over. You know, it's kind of. <laughs> but no, I, God. I like those words of wisdom that it's useful to have your own Tony Platt in the back of your mind. It is. Ready to tear a strip off you if you get complacent in the studio. I kind of thank him for that. Mm. In, in, uh, I would like to thank him on this occasion if he's listening <laughs> and he, he thinks, oh, it's that numpty again. At least he can feel happy that he's made my, <laughs> made my life a bit better as a result. A little, a little better and a little scarier. Okay, we'll, we'll in fact, him- as a result of it, I was looking back because at the time, in fact, in general, whenever I've done stuff, I've always made notes as I go along. And I actually found a bunch of the notes that I took <gasps> while I was doing his sessions. I was thinking I might actually put From them up. 20 years 20 ago. 20 years ago. I've got some, some of them are f***ing funny. <laughs> as well you just you're kind of looking through and you go I didn't know that at the time oh those have got to go up it's like to switch it on flick the power switch is kind of stuff it's that kind of level of detail thanks for that Mike (laughs) glad I cleared that up thank you fast Mike but yeah I've got I mean I like drew like careful diagrams of all his mic setups and stuff and where he put all the drum drum mics and the guitar mics and everything it's interesting though because looking back at all of that I realise how Sometimes you can't really take advantage of a situation like that if you don't have the understanding to comprehend what you're seeing. Like, I took these tremendously detailed um, drawings and and instructions or whatever of how everything was set up, but it's clear from the way I've done it that I'm literally just looking at it as if it's a bit of sculpture. Right, so you don't know what to refer to, what the relevant bits are. And And I kind of feel sad now that I think, well, if I'd known what I know now... I'd have looked at that and I'd have probably got much more out of it without having to draw a whole bunch of diagrams. I just thought, oh, oh, so he's doing it like that. That's the bit he's doing kind of that's interesting. Yeah, this is the signature bit. Whereas I couldn't filter what was interesting mm. and what wasn't interesting from, from the thing at the time. I was just like blindly copying out, <laughs> hoping that it would uh, it would inform me in future. Well, I mean, what all you need is a, is a little note to him or, or a comment next time you see him that if he needs someone to make tea <laughs> at his next session, like that, that you'd like to go over a few of your, your drawings and see if you can... <laughs> I think I've probably still got his tea order on here, actually. <laughs> <laughs> Can I relax my toes now? Indeed you can, yeah. Okay. Oh, that's... I feel you. I feel you as if I was there. It's time now to welcome our listeners into our project studio and bestow... Hello, listeners. Hello, hello, both of you. uh, And bestow our years of knowledge on your ignorant little minds. Uh, it's time for listener questions. We don't have them anymore. We started that segment with those listeners and they've now, we've now got rid of them. Oh. It's good. It, it frees us up from having to actually make any sense. That's true. Although I don't Pressure feel off. like we've been, we haven't been overly burdened by that. No one listening to this show so far would say these poor guys working so hard to make sense. 
Yeah, yeah. So uh, David Leary has written in to say that he is playing in a band, which is very exciting. Mm. He says that we're a new band and I'm a very new guitarist, but we have just started gigging. Okay. The problem is sound checks. Ah. Now, uh, the sound man will go around and people will be asking for for high shelves and mid peaks and verbs and choruses and, uh, and all sorts of things. And when it gets to him, he says, my guitar sounds more or less like a guitar. That's always a good start. I'm not sure what to expect. <laughs> I was going to say, first off, you've got a better than average live sound engineer. You know, you can, you can congratulate yourself on that. Well, I'd start even earlier than that. I'd say you've got a better than average live sound attitude. <laughs> Step one, sound a bit like you're meant to sound. <laughs> uh, so, so, so he asks, what are some things I can ask for or at least comment on hmm. To impress my next sound guy, or at least convince him I know some of what I'm doing. Oh, crumbs. That's tricky. Should he comment on the um, gigahertz? <laughs> Should he say that the formant pattern is great, that the amplitude envelope is just really, really <laughs> tweaking his nipples, musically speaking? Uh, well, I don't know. I wonder whether... I, it's, it's difficult, because, I mean, you know that basically my knowledge of live sound could be written on the back of half a postage stamp. <laughs> but I wonder whether, just from the, the little knowledge I have of it, that actually it might be worth kind of double bluffing a bit. Okay. And to make it look like he's, he's so blasé with the whole live sound, sound thing that he does all those things that people normally do with live sound like taps microphones <laughs> that are really sensitive and goes is this on <laughs> or uh, so the ignorant bullish behavior of people who've done it for a very long time yeah they're basically he's so confident in his own coolness that he's willing to abuse the sound guy wow i mean that that would make him seem like an old hand and something else into the bargain <laughs> yes, there we go and other words which which shouldn't be said on a podcast because I, I noticed we're being bleeped yeah by by some government censor and I, I don't want to overwork them. no it's my little editing chipmunk errol <laughs> your puritanical errol would be very upset he's easily offended he is he's an easily offended little chipmunk but but the little question was how he could make the sound guy think he's cool and I'm, I'm not convinced that any sound guy is going to be excited about having some Keith Richard wannabe yeah. kicking things over. It's true. Yeah. My cluelessness is, is showing up loud and clear here. <laughs> I play sometimes with a singer. The, the instrumental setup is quite complex. The sound check takes a while. And the vocal sound is very simple. Tiny bit of reverb. Besides that, it's fine. But I think the singer feels a bit left out at um, not having a long sound check. Yeah. Especially as they are the front person of this whole band, so shouldn't they have a long involved sound check? Their solution to this is they uh, attempt what I guess is a kind of sign sweep of the entire PA system and torture the sound guy into getting rid of the slightest bumps or troughs. They're, they're, they're tuning the PA over about... 30 minutes. Brilliant. It's not. It's horrible <laughs> to be on stage for. Well, I, mean, I can imagine that, but what an inspired idea. <laughs> what's more, what's more, you know, the vocal lines are all quite mid-range. But still, he'll... he'll all the way up. And then when he, oh, when he finds one he doesn't like, he'll go, ah, ah, <laughs> ah, ah, ah. I mean, it's, that's, oh. that's only one guy with a camera phone away from viral domination. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's horrible. I think, I think the answer, the, the true answer is a simple one. It, it's just to say, I love what you've done on those guys. 
something similar to that. I'm sure you've got this one down. Yeah. If I'm doing live sound and I get a musician saying that, I'll, I'll buy them a beer afterwards. Yeah. But at the risk of taking this question seriously, <laughs> I think probably the best thing you could possibly do in facing the sound, sound man is just find out what his name is. Oh. Don't you think? Oh, well, now we've got the emotions in. I, th- I think you're absolutely right. If you just say... Oh, oh, Bert, uh, yeah, g- uh, great job. Um, I can hear myself. All good. Yeah. Or even if you can't, if you're just able to say, oh, Bert, can you do me a favour and do so? It's just the, the fact that you've taken the trouble to learn his name. Completely. Will probably set you apart from <laughs> everybody <laughs> else. else. I completely agree, Mike. I think, again, at the risk of getting real here for a moment, and anything besides yelling, uh, mate, do you want to, mate? Yeah. We'll put you a cut above the rest so you'll be you'll be every sound guy's favorite band member i'd say so and now as we do every month we are going to ask what's your jam Great. And so, uh, answers on a postcard as to how you think we generated that foley. Just a clue, it wasn't actually toast, guys. Magic of radio. <laughs> that wasn't really toast. Barely distinguishable from the real thing. Okay, great. So, Mike, what's your jam? Well, um, it's just another example of how I managed to spend time not working as a freelancer. You know... <laughs> Have you ever heard of shred videos? <gasps> oh, I have. I have. <laughs> I've just been... Oh, my oh, goodness. I, 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 I did a session with um, a drummer, and he sent me an absolutely fabulous one of Chick Corea, labelled Chick Corea Electric Band. It's, and now, just to fill people in, if you, if you don't know what a shred video is, basically what people do is that they'll take either a music video or a video of a live performance of a live show, and then they'll replace the audio track with a fake one that's meant to make the people who are doing the music video or the live performance sound really, really rubbish. <laughs> The thing about it is it's not just a two-minute thing that they do. They put so much effort into it. This Chick Corea one is just diamond. Because what they've done is they've replaced all of the instruments in the video. It's incredible. With horrible general MIDI sounds. (laughs) And with horrible wrong notes and just really poorly out of time. But the thing is that everything that they do syncs up with the visual. (laughs) So every time you see the drummer hitting something, it is a horrible MIDI tom sound or whatever else. dedication. And the thing about it is they managed to sync it up and yet make it sound completely crap. That's that's the art of a really good shred video, though. Yes. Because you have to be able to watch it. You have to be able to watch it and believe that what you're hearing is, be, you know, be able to suspend disbelief and believe that the Beach Boys or Chick Corea or whoever it is, is actually just this bad. Whenever it changes, like, camera angle, then they'll switch to a certain instrument doing it. And often some instrument will just, like, randomly drop out because they're not in shot. <laughs> <laughs> and then the great thing about it is they've put in, like, fake audience reactions as well. Mm. So you'll get the saxophonist comes up and does this kind of strange kind of horrible noise and then there'll be like a burst of laughter from the crowd it's just so brilliantly done that I just find myself laughing like a drain <laughs> uncontrollably I have to I have to find this one we'll, we'll, we'll put up you know a YouTube link now let's just kind of take a slight sideways thing here have you ever heard of the McGurk effect absolutely not okay here's the download basically the McGurk effect is this effect that you get if you make a video of someone saying bar 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 and far 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 you can interchange the audio and the video of those two recordings and you will always hear what you see not what's actually there really it's a really really freaky effect so basically you'll see it saying far 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 but they'll play bar 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 in sync 
but you do actually hear far, far, far when you're seeing it. I will interpret the recording of, of someone saying ba, ba, ba as far, far, far if when I'm listening to it, I watch someone mouthing far, far, far. Even if you know they're doing it. That's incredible. It is absolutely nuts. You've got to look. There are YouTube demonstrations of it. It's such an important demonstration, I think, for audio engineers to, to realise how powerful your brain is at changing what you hear, actually changing it, not just making you think it's changing, but really changing what you're hearing because of what you're seeing. I mean, there's another example for stereo perception as well that I always remember, which is if you get a speaker in front of someone, yeah. they'll normally hear it as coming from in front of them. Okay. But if you hang like a circular curtain around them, so it's like a round room they're in okay. that has vertical stripes on it so they can see where the curtain is, and then you rotate the curtain around them, yeah. they'll stop hearing that speaker as being in front of them if it's outside the curtain. It's like an acoustically transparent curtain, and they'll hear it from above them because as far as their eyes are concerned, it's the only place that the sound could be coming from and staying in the same place. That's incredible. I really want to try these now. But what I was thinking about shred videos, this is a this is the tenuous connection, is I wonder whether shred videos are basically an inverse McGurk effect. <laughs> because I really noticed how when you watch a music video or whatever, even quite a kind of cheesy dated one with the original soundtrack, you think, yeah, they kind of get away with it. But when you put it with the really cheesy audio, all the visuals look more amusing. Yeah. All the kind of shapes that the Chick Corea band are pulling as there's all these cheesy GM sounds in the background <laughs> look ridiculous where they wouldn't have looked ridiculous on the original thing. So it's like an inverse McGurk effect. Yeah. If we're going to throw around clever effect names, have you come across Verfremdung's effect? <laughs> what? <laughs> Bless you. <laughs> well, I did. We're both in Germany, so this feels all right. This is the idea of alienation. Okay. And it's a theatre expression more than a music one. All right. And it's the act of making someone conscious that they're a spectator and, and really realise what they're seeing. You know, music like theatre can lull us into a kind of hypnotic state. Kind of suspension of disbelief, basically. Absolutely, exactly that. Where we just kind of accept wh whatever drama we're being shown, whatever cheesy visuals, as you say, we're seeing. Yeah. But if, if something suddenly jars, we're jolted, we're alienated from that hypnotic state, and we're like, oh, this is actually extremely strange. We, we see it with fresh eyes. Have you come across MVWM? No. Music videos without music. No, I haven't. So it's similar to Shred Video. Videos. Yeah. We're, I mean, we're using up all our internet culture knowledge on this one episode, but fine. <laughs> um, but instead of replacing it with bad music, they take a popular music video and replace the song with only visible sound. Like Foley. Yes, exactly. So let's say there's there's a scene of uh, Nicki Minaj, one of the three pop singers I know, in a party in her music video. Instead of the thumping track, it will just be the noises of a loud party and her kind of... <laughs> speaking her song over the top yeah. and then if you suddenly cut to you know some people writhing around in sexy clothes mm. um you'll just hear their their shoes kind of squeaking on the ground <laughs> and, and it's incredible because it makes these videos seem awkward and ridiculous but you're not touching the visuals you're just messing with the sound that's fabulous this dovetails beautifully with another example of a shred video do you know that uh, horrible 80s cover that David Bowie and Mick Jagger did of... Um... Oh, Dancing in the Street. Yep. <laughs> and already you look at that video and you think, what a bunch of... <laughs> it's just, they just look dreadful. But someone has done a shred video of it where they've removed all of the backing track 
and they just have two people singing really crappy. <laughs> and and exactly and exactly like the foley of their feet moving in their clothes and, and the, like, okay, the background very sounds. Similar. Like there's a bit where they're outside and you're going to get the nighttime things and the kind of gentle city ambience, all this kind of stuff. Oh, God. And they're both just like cavorting and doing all this kind of stuff and singing really badly <laughs> with no backing track at all. But the, but the great thing about it is that it made me think, oh, I should look back at the video because maybe the, because of the inverse McGurk effect, it's really not that bad. Mm-hmm. And I went back to look at the original video and I thought, no, it, it is actually that bad. <laughs> I've forgotten. a productive morning is, is I think, the, the moral here. Right, so with that, um, I think it's about time to say goodbye. We would love to hear any questions that you have for our in-house experts, namely us. And of course, we have to give heartfelt thanks to our sponsor this month. Heartfelt thanks to our sponsor. Just branching into the audio field now and have begun to establish a solid product base. We have um, Yorkshire Aggregates, (laughs) who uh, do a range of gravel and aggregate products for all your studio needs. I mean, if your egg shaker's sounding a bit tired... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you can upgrade its contents. They have the Type 1 limestone quarried aggregates that can just give it that extra bite. Type 1 limestone is, was actually what was on uh, Want You Back by the Jackson 5. Well, there you go. You see? A lot of people don't know that. That wasn't actually Michael. That was Type 1 limestone aggregates. Mm. I mean, there's, there's the testimonials on the site. I mean, if you need to bury a lead singer in the back garden, <laughs> they do excellent topsoil. <laughs> or if you do foley, of course. You need gravel for those footsteps. <laughs> and they have a whole range. They, they have the smaller gravel, you know, the Downton range. <laughs> and then the, the lumpier bits, you know, their Mordor selection. <laughs> Experts in the field. Actually, I mean, I just have to share a pet peeve, I, you know, in television, in Midsummer Murders or something, and the sound supervisor or whatever expects you to buy the sound of someone walking over, say, grade three pebble. Mm. Of, you know, it's a mix of flint and basalt. I know. And then what they've used for sound is, is limestone and slate. I know. You know, goodbye immersion. And Yorkshire Aggregates have recognised this niche in the market. Mm-hmm. I mean, also, I, I mean, I'm just trying out some of their recycled grit sand at the moment. My speaker stands are now, I felt they needed refilling after this time. The, the sand had seemed a bit stale that was in there. Right. So I've got their recycled grit sand in there. And I, I can vouch from first-hand experience that my mixes have never sounded as, as environmentally friendly as they do now. <laughs> Well, if you're after that green sound, mm. then uh, then please do give a visit to Yorkshire Aggregates. Let them know that the Tea Break Boys sent you. Have shouted out in their direction. Have yeah. shouted in their direction. And, and I mean, yeah, a huge thanks for their generous support. <laughs> Any uh, things to uh, plug? Any stuff you've got you want people to know about? So I'm about to start work on a new show for the Edinburgh Festival. Oh, fabulous. We'll be performing in Babylon. The name of the show is Fandango. It will be musical and comedic and um, all-round brilliant. Bookings are going to be open next week. That's the Bedlam Theatre, a uh, play called Fandango. Excellent. So I'd look forward to seeing you there. And, and as for yourself? Well, I mean, now the Tea Break podcast, we've just finished setting up the Patreon site for that. Amazing! So if you want to make our show anything other than valueless... <laughs> If you want to undermine the central tenet of our podcasting by giving it some value, then head over to the Patreon site and we're going we're gonna to have some little treats and bits and pieces that we're going to post up. I was thinking of posting up some of these notes that I've got from Tony Platt. That I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look forward to reading those personally. Um, maybe the odd outtake. I'll collect all of... All of- John's ums as if, as if we are anything but polished and perfect on every recording, Mike. <laughs> I'll, I'll just, I'll just, I'll create an auto-tuned version of John's <gasps> slots. Oh, I, I mean, I would listen to that while I went to sleep. We have, we have plans for all sorts of exciting bonus content for indeed, our, indeed, our upper tier club. So check it out. 
and support us if you like what you hear. In the meantime, please do get in touch. You can hit us up at tbreak at projectstudioteabreak.com. That's our email. Or you can tweet us at ptsbtweets. Get us on Facebook on PTSB Books. Or um, phone us. Well, now phone John. By all means. You can deal with that. Phone me. Yeah. I'm very lonely. <laughs> just just exceptionally lonely. So hit me up. Send us a smoke signal. There we go. That'll, that'll probably work as well. See you all next month for another <laughs> thrilling episode of Project Studio Tea Break. Bye. Bye.